Thank you, Paul. You know, uh, Jude, thank you for that. Our police are very, very nice. Uh, they're even nice when they're giving out speeding tickets. Not that I have any personal experience with that. I've just heard that through the grapevine. <laughs> Chairman of the Elders walks behind me and says, you would know, wouldn't you? <laughs> we are uh, doing a series for the summer. Um, you know, when we talk about a series, we don't plan our series around world events. That's not how we think about it. In fact, before Mark left at the end of the year, he and I were already talking about this event right here and the series. So we're doing a different kind of faith. And, and I'm, every week I'm trying to give you the metaphor. Think of God opening his hand to us. Open hand to give us something. But at the same time, it's an invitation into something. And so whatever it is that he gives us is meant to be shared to bless others with it. So we are the only religion that has this picture of God reaching down to offer us something really wonderful and invite us into a relationship with him in return. Not to keep, but to share. So last week we talked about Sabbath and a world of unrest. Today, like I said, we didn't plan this because of world events. This was planned long ago. We're talking about reconciliation in a world of conflict. What is the biblical concept of reconciliation and what makes us as Christians different when it comes to reconciliation? Why can we and should we do it well? What does that look like? We're going to go to an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage. might surprise you because you probably wouldn't put these two together, but I think they fit very well. In order to understand the concept of reconciliation, it's important to understand the concept of justice. Okay? When you look at both the Old and the New Testaments, the Hebrew Scriptures and the Greek Scriptures, the concept of justice and righteousness, are they overlap. They're so intertwined as you can, to the point that you can't separate them. So, in fact, the same word captures both ideas. The same word in both languages. So if you think of righteousness simply as doing what is right, that leads to justice. Or if you think of justice as being what God desires, that means we're doing what is right. So in your Bibles, when you see the word justice or righteousness or just, any of those word groups, you can, you can commingle them, you can put them together, and you can begin to get a sense of what what God has in mind. We're going to start out with a chapter in Leviticus. I've been doing a little bit more in Leviticus up here because most of you know very little about that book. And yet I'm absolutely convinced that Leviticus, Leviticus lays the ground rules, lays the foundation for us to understand Christ's teaching and what he did. Everywhere you turn in it, you find this. Now remember the story of Leviticus. The slaves had just come out of Egypt at the base of Mount Sinai. At Exodus, in Exodus 19, God says, If you obey my commands fully, although the whole earth is mine, I will make you my prized possession. A kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. Priests on behalf of whom? This whole world. And I'm not just talking about humans. I'm talking about all of creation. And now you're slaves, and you're hearing, we get to be priests? 
coming out of Egypt, most likely the priests were only there for a short period of time. They kind of paid their dues. And, you know, if they paid the right amount of wages, they got to be a priest. And God says, we're going to make all of you priests. And that's the first time they heard that. So they're sitting in the desert. I told my Tuesday night group, you're sitting on the edge of your sand dunes listening to this for the first time. And you're going to become priests. If you obey me fully, then you will be my prized possession. I will be your God. And you will be priest to the rest of the world. Is that wonderful news? That's just wonderful, isn't it? God cared enough to step in. Remember all the ancient world around them. The gods were to be placated, not emulated. And here we have a God that steps in and says, oh, no, 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 I don't want that. What I want to do is love you. So what the Israelites say with great enthusiasm, all that the Lord has said, we will do. And then they turn right around and made the golden calf. They're just like you and me. And so that's the setting. And so after they get through the golden calf incident, then Moses begins to teach them the principles of Leviticus. So you're still sitting there at the base of Mount Sinai. You haven't started the journey yet to the promised land. God wants you to know, here's what it looks like to be priests. Here's what it looks like to be holy. Before you get to the promised land, when you walk into this land that has all of this idolatry and corruption and, and greed and all of that, you need to know what it looks like so that you can be priests. Otherwise, you're going to let them shape who you are rather than you shaping who they are. See? So you see the picture? All right. So, in the middle of this, Leviticus 19 is a chapter. It's a wonderful chapter. Leviticus 19. It's talking about the kind of the laws of what holiness looks like when you go into the land. He starts off, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Even that right there is a very countercultural statement. What God is saying is, I want you to be like me. That's not the way it worked in the ancient world. It's not the way it worked at all. And that's how he starts. And then in verse 9, he starts to get specific. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So right off the bat, we have an instruction given about the poor. We're to care for the poor. That's what holiness looks like. But then he goes on. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not fear, swear falsely by my name. And so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the poor. So I mean, I am the Lord. So he's moved from the poor to community. What does this look like in our group here? What does this look like amongst us? We're not supposed to steal from one another. We're not supposed to deceive one another. We're not supposed to lie to each other. We're, we're to create a wholesome community. And then he talks about fair pay. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. But then he goes from there and talks about those who have challenges. That's how we think of it in our world today. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in the front in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Uh, I hate social media. We should have never been invented. But it's here, so I use it. I stay connected. 
And I've learned that if you, uh, my son taught me this, if you start uh, looking at something, it somehow remembers it and it starts feeding you all that. So I start reading everything on Trump that I can get and it's feeding me everything on Trump. So then I said, okay, let's change, let's, ha- let's play with this. I start reading everything I can on Biden. Pretty soon I'm getting everything on Biden. I won't tell you what other things I've looked at, uh, just to experiment and try it. But one of the things that I did was I keep changing. So I, then I said, let's start looking at animals in the animal kingdom. Now my inbox is flooded with all kinds of things of animals. It's pretty amazing how that shapes the way we view the world. Okay? It's just amazing. So I put in, I started looking at things, and this little meme come up, came up. There's a, uh, a UPS or a FedEx driver. I don't know which one. Anyway, he's deaf. And he delivers the packages every day in this neighborhood. And there's a gr- girl. She looks. She's about this tall. I'm not sure how old she is, but she understands that he's deaf, and so she starts to learn sign language. So he comes to deliver a package, and she says a few words, and he stops, startled, and responds, and they start a relationship because he, he sees them all throughout the week. He's teaching her a new language. And this video was the two of them sitting there talking to each other. And it's gorgeous. It's just wonderful. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God, I am the Lord. By the way, the little blurb about social media is don't believe it. Whatever you're looking at, that's what it's going to send to you. Okay? Just be careful with it, that's all. But then he goes on, talks about justice. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Here's one simple picture of justice. Doing what's right. And then he goes on and talks about our neighbors. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. Okay, now pause. Is this something that's unique to Christianity, what I just read? It shouldn't be. We have similar laws in the other nations like this. This is not unique. This is a picture of what we should look like. So then, what makes us different? What makes us different? Why are all of these nations held up in history as examples of great nations, and yet Exodus says that, and Leviticus, that God knows the hearts of people, that they are continually evil? Is there anything evil in this? Actually, there is. And I'll tell you what's evil. It's when we decide that we know better than God. That's the differentiator right there. That's what Paul says in Romans 1, represents idolatry. When we do not need the Lord, and we can do this on our own. We've talked several times. We work closely. Jude does with all the agencies around town. Many of them do the same thing we do. They have food banks. They do all that. But what makes us different? It's the very last verse, which I haven't read to you. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Love your neighbor, verse 18. This is the verse that Christ quoted. The second command. The greatest two commandments. This is the verse that all of the law depends on. This is what makes us unique. Is that we simply don't feed people 
we actually inside love them. We love them. You've heard me say many times, whenever God involves himself in our world, one of the things he does is he introduces human dignity. And there it is right there. It's really beginning to think that I have the ability, because of the Holy Spirit, to love everyone I come across. Even the Democrats. Even the Republicans. Even the Libertarians. Even the looters. You fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you happen to experience that creates conflict with you, I have the capacity to love them. That's what is unique. Jesus draws on that. John 13, a new commandment I give you. You know the verse, right? That you love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the marker. That's the differentiator. That's the difference between giving food to someone and giving food to someone. We have the ability, because of the Holy Spirit, to make the decision internally to say, I love this person and I'm going to do it. Because it's the right thing to do. It's the just thing to do. You with me so far? That's what differentiates us. Okay, now I'm going to jump to 2 Corinthians. You heard this one read, a very famous passage. Okay, the very first thing he says uh, in verse 14, Christ's love compels us. There it is. We are compelled to do good because of the love of Christ, which, by the way, Paul says, has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's what should compel us, is this deep and growing love for everyone, without regard to station in life, socioeconomic status, ethnic, ethnicity, any of that, gender, we're going to love them because we have the ability to do that now because of who the Lord is. That's the differentiator. Otherwise, we're just a social club. I love FERC. I do. I love what they do. But why are we different? If we're not, let's just give them our money and close the doors. We can do something because of the love that's been deposited right here. The love of Christ compels us. Then he goes on in verse 16 with these words you've heard many times. In fact, all last summer we quoted verse 17. Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Get rid of the scarlet A. Get rid of the scarlet H for homosexuality. Get rid of the scarlet D for divorce. Get rid of the scarlet DA for drug addiction. Get rid of the scarlet A for alcoholic. Quit defining people that way. Never define people by their sin. We no longer, I love that language, regard anyone from a worldly point of view. And he says, but that is how we used to regard Christ. Paul's saying this. We're wiping the slate clean. We are recalibrating the way we view everybody that we look at. What a world of difference it would be if we could just simply put this verse in practice right here. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing? 
That's why when I'm having coffee with you, the only reason it's important for me to know what particular sin you struggle with, not because I'm a sadist or a sensationalist, because I want to know what kind of pain it's causing, that's all. It doesn't matter to me what you're struggling with. What I care about is, are you moving toward the Lord? I'm a pastor. Are you experiencing love and redemption? That's what I care about. But then he goes on. This is the verse we quoted all summer, last summer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. That's how we evaluate people. Not because it's an us and them, but because if we recognize that someone has not yet come to know Christ, we have something to offer. That's that image of God. This is what differentiates Christianity. He reaches down into our lives and he gives us a gift and invites us into a relationship, and that gift is to be used to bless everyone around us. You've been blessed so that you can bless others. It doesn't matter what the gift looks like. Wealth, health, it doesn't matter what it looks like. You've been blessed, and now you look at people that don't have that same experience, and you have something to offer them, to show them who this God is. Then he goes on. All of this is from God who reconciled, there's that term, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, not counting their sins against them. Hear it? You know what reconciliation is? A very common concept. You have two people that are in tension. They're not getting along and you help them reconcile. And the reconciliation as Christians begins with the one true living God who made all of this. He reconciled us to himself. By the way, let me just pause and say, Judy, thank you. Judy Deal, one of our own here, PhD in New Testament, just published a commentary in 2 Corinthians and I read it all through this week, thinking it through. Thank you for the work you did. I don't have to do it now. You did it for me. <laughs> it's great. It's great. And so reconciliation, it starts with the one true living God. Through Jesus, he has brought peace to us and reconciled us to him so that, so that we can get on with life? No, no, no. That's that open hand. So that then we can then be reconcilers compelled by what? The love of Christ. That's what differentiates us. That's why we called this whole series a different kind of religion. It's very unique in the ancient world, but he doesn't stop there. Therefore, based on the fact that we've been reconciled and he's asking us to do the same, help others with this, we are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. This is why we exist. I love our county. Everywhere I go, I love running into people that don't yet know the Lord Jesus because I have a chance to love them. I do. To prove them wrong in their philosophy by being a loving Christian. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now here's a famous verse. This is where I want to end. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us. He took our sin so that we might become in him the righteousness of God. There's an exchange going on. He took our sin 
so that we might become his righteousness. To whom? It is, is it a simple transaction? We get his righteousness? No. No. What did he say way back at Exodus? I will make you a kingdom of priests. On behalf of whom? It's not giving us righteousness just for the sake of a transaction. It's far deeper than that. The moment he says, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests, every one of us should look around and say, who are we priests on behalf of? When he says, you're a sacrifice, who am I a sacrifice on behalf of? Everybody around us. When he made us his righteousness, you could use the concept of justice, he made us just people, righteous people, on behalf of whom? All the people around us that are struggling with conflict. We become the righteousness of God in the world. We become the servants of God in the world. We become the priests of God in the world. We become the sacrifice of God in the world. That's what that means. We know how to do reconciliation. We should. We should. And so it becomes a privilege. Don't think of it as duty. Think of it as a privilege to help others, to bless others, to mediate on behalf of others, to sacrifice on behalf of others, to live just lives no matter how badly they look. Remember, what evil means is not necessarily we're dealing with murderers. No, we're dealing with people who have replaced God with their own heart. And that's all they know. And for, to us, they look very good. They look very good. And they need to learn what it means to say, who is this God who made all this? Why are you all different? Why is that? He made him who knew no sin to become our sin so that we might become God's righteousness in a world, his justness in a world full of conflict. Father, thank you. Thank you for, well, first of all, not forgetting us. <laughs> you remembered your promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to every, they're all down that line. You, you didn't forget us. You came back to redeem us. But even more than that, you gave us a purpose to love the people around us that don't know you. What an incredible privilege. And to be the people in the world that know how to live justly and to bring reconciliation. You gave us a gift. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay. Uh, for those of you that are visitors, normally at this time we take the offering and serve communion. Everything's a little different in this world that we're in today. Put your mask back on. And let me just say a word of thank you. The reason why we put our mask on is not because we agree on the science. That's not my field. I have no idea about the science behind this. Not because of the politics. That doesn't matter. I can tell you the reason why we put our masks on. Number one, we have over a hundred year history with our county of being very collaborative. We don't want to wreck that. 
We have a good relationship, healthy. Number two, we have people watching us. Let's show them what it looks like to do it well. Even if you don't agree with it. In fact, I love those of you that disagree because you walk up with your mask. (laughs) Complaining to me through your mask. I love it. (laughs) But number three is that if by putting mask on, we can help one of our vulnerable people avoid this horrendous virus, we should do that. So thank you for doing that. Okay, stand up. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to uh, dismiss you in just a second. We have communion tables one, two, three, four. Touchless communion. We have an elder or somebody standing right there to help you and to bless you when you go to communion on your way to your cars. Okay? If you would like to make a donation, there's a place there to do that. Many of you do it online. We get that through the mail. And again, as I remind you every week, thank you for taking good care of us. During this time, you guys have taken such very good care of our church. We're very healthy. That's what allows us to take care of so many hurting people and, quite honestly, take care of our staff. So on behalf of them, thank you. So as you go out this week, those of you that are visitors, I'm glad you're here. Spend lots of money. Okay. <laughs> Enjoy the county. Enjoy what we have to offer. And uh, when you go to the communion tables, there will be somebody there that will say, the body of Christ given for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. This is a reminder every week of what the blessing that God has given us that we can share with others. Enjoy the peace of Christ. Go in peace. Modulate right away then? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So get one and then modulate. Okay. Alright, you guys ready?
ought to be singing his praise mm-hmm. Just like we Just like we We first began Come on children, let's sing this You can sing Amazing grace How sweet the sound That saved a wretch like me this morning is, are you ready for a miracle? Are you? Are you? I am. Here we go. Shall find their peace. Are you blessed ready? Blessed be the one to thirst. Blessed be the meek. Are you blessed ready? Blessed be the innocent. For they shall all be free.